0: and bring honor and glory to the name of Christ. Here now is our pastor teacher, Harry Reeder.
1: Now look with me in John chapter 11 and pick up with me at verse 55. I want to set, want the setting to be before you as we walk into the triumphal entry. Now the Passover of the Jews was at hand and many went up from, went up from the country to Jerusalem before the Passover to purify themselves. They were, they were looking for Jesus and saying to one another as they stood in the temple, what do you think? that he will that he will not come to the feast at all now the chief priests and the pharisees had given orders that if anyone knew where he was he should let them know so that they might arrest him six days before the passover jesus therefore came to bethany where lazarus was whom jesus had raised from the dead so they gave a dinner for him there martha served And Lazarus was one of those reclining with him at table. Mary, therefore, took a pound of expensive ointment made from pure nard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But Judas Iscariot, one of the disciples, he who was about to betray him, said, Why was this ointment not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? He said this not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. And having charge of the money bags, he used to help himself to what was put into it. And Jesus said, Leave her alone, so that she may keep it for the day of my burial." For the poor you always have with you, but you do not always have me. The grass withers, the flower fades, the word of the Lord abides forever. By his grace and his mercy, may his word be preached for you. Please be seated. Well, uh, by my count, this is number 23. Uh, number 23, meaning by my count, since I have had the extraordinary privilege of serving the Lord... As pastor at briarwood this is the 23rd sermon i have preached on um on the palm sunday of the triumphal entry and uh, i was thinking through it again um and i one thought filled my mind is Lord, I wish that people would remember all my sermons, but then again, I'm glad they don't remember all my sermons because maybe I can slip something in that I've said before and they won't realize that I said it before. Uh, Maybe that might be the case as well. But I did uh, think through this, uh, just trying to think how in a fresh sense we might come to this. And one of the things I thought I'd do is back up, because we're looking at a wonderful cluster of the trees of redemption that fill the forest of God's grace when we're looking at Holy Week and the events and following the steps of Jesus. But even though we've got this little cluster of, of trees of redemption, you can you know, back up. And let's take a, just for a moment, what about the whole Bible? There's two things I want you to think about in your Bible. First of all, there are four grand themes in your Bible. Four grand themes, and those four grand themes are creation, the fall, redemption, and consummation. Your Bible, those first three statements that I made, is actually is is actually an outline of your Bible. Creation, Genesis one and two, the fall into sin, Genesis three. Redemption, Genesis 4 to Revelation 22, the unfolding of the covenant of grace. Revelation 22 then initiates the consummation of eternity when we will be with him forever and ever. Another thing as you take a look at your Bible that may be helpful in terms of the grand forest of God's grace is to maybe think through the fact that In your Bible, there are many, many events that our Lord gives us insight as to who he is and what he has done and what he has promised and the fulfillment of those promises in his son, Jesus. But as you look at them, two weeks stand out in stark clarity in your Bible. One is the week of creation where that week is unfolded step by step, three days of forming the heavens and the earth, three days of filling the heavens and the earth. And then we get to a second week. We call it the Passion Week. We call it Holy Week, where the Gospels amazingly put together this glorious picture for us of what happened as the pinnacle moment of why Christ was born into this world. His 33 years, his three years of public ministry now coming to the very point for which he came, and that is to die for our sins and be raised on the third day to the glory of the Father and by the grace of God to the salvation of his people and when you go through the gospels you can see it outlined step by step i do commend to you the devotional guide that you use it step by step this week it's a, it's succinct but to the point and you can follow jesus day by day and what he has done and how he and how he has accomplished the very all of the prophecies to be fulfilled in his incarnation his crucifixion, His burial, and His resurrection. And just just follow through that. And, um, and as you're working your way through it, just give thought to it. Meditate on it. The, this glorious week. And it's initiated on a Sabbath. It's initiated on a Sabbath. And then it goes through a Sabbath until the first day of the week, which becomes known as the Christian Sabbath, the Lord's the Lord's resurrection day whereby he rose from the dead and this one, this glorious... By the way, you can kind of see the two pull together because who is Jesus? He's the second Adam. He's the son of God who became man in order to take our place and to take our sins. Well, our sins came from what? The first Adam. We in Adam sinned and now we who are in Christ are redeemed from our sin. Well, what was the first day? What was the first day for Adam's existence? His first day was a worship day. He was made on the sixth day, then came the Sabbath. Now the second Adam does his work of redeeming us from our sins. He rests in the grave on the last Sabbath of the Old Testament and comes forth on the first day of the week, risen our Savior and King. And that becomes known as the Lord's Day. This week, uh, Jesus has made his way from the, he has made his way from the Galilee, he has come down the Jordan, he has gone through Jericho, and he has come up the, up the hills, up the, and I'm sure he was joining many of the pilgrims who were on their way. You'll notice that it said that from the countryside, the Jews had come. Why? Well, back in the Old Testament, there was a king who brought reforms in order to heighten biblical truth his name was Josiah and King Josiah had sent a decree that you weren't allowed to privatize the worship that belonged in the gathering of the temple. Therefore, he sent a decree that when the great feasts that were prescribed, you were not to celebrate them simply in your homes or in your town, but you were to make your way to Jerusalem at the temple where the Holy of Holies was found, and you were to come there. That's why when you read the book, the Bible, you'll notice that Jesus and his family habitually came to Jerusalem for the great feast and their observances and you'll notice in the three years of Jesus ministry that he had made his way uh, there and would bring the disciples there for the great feast and would make glorious and wonderful pronouncements uh, concerning those feasts uh, at those feasts in terms of who he is and what he had done so here and so now comes a feast but there's a question out there Do you think Jesus will come? Do you think he'll be here? You'll notice it was, they've even, uh, John recorded it for you. All of those that had gathered, they wanted to see Jesus. They wanted to talk to him. But the question was, will he show up? Now, why would they ask that question? Well, they asked that question for two reasons. Number one, there was an arrest warrant out for him. Uh, He, at the previous time he was in Jerusalem, they had tried to arrest him, but they could not lay hands upon him. And then, uh, and so they now have an arrest warrant out for him. There's another reason. The scriptures tell us that not only is there an arrest warrant, but there is a clandestine plot to kill him. And now, because of the resurrection of Lazarus, Lazarus had become an object of curiosity that now we're leading more to believe in Jesus. So now the Sanhedrin and the Pharisees broadened the plot to kill Jesus. We're going to kill Lazarus too. And so now the plot has, now the plot has widened. Jesus comes and he arrives and he, he observes the Sabbath. In the home of Mary and Martha and Lazarus, it had become not only a place of respite, but this entire week that you and I are walking through, this entire week, Jesus had, Jesus made Bethany his headquarters. The home of Mary and Martha and Lazarus. He'll not only on what we call Palm Sunday, the first day of the week, will he go into Jerusalem. He will return back there. And he will do that most of the days of the week until we get to the end when he spends the night on the side of Mount the Mount of Olives in the Garden of Gethsemane. But in the first of the week and all the way through it, up until the toward the end, he will come back and forth to Bethany. And it is there that he is anointed on the Sabbath, the evening of the Sabbath. Mary anoints him for his burial. And there is an amazing thing that is said, isn't there, at that moment. she uh, It's hard for us to grasp this. This oil, this perfume that she broke open and... Poured upon his feet and then wiped clean with her hair. She, this is, this is so, this was basically a year's salary for a middle class person at that time. If, if you worked and, you know, got two weeks vacation a year and you had yourself a middle class job, this is what, what, what it cost for that perfume. Would have been just about that year's salary, income. And she broke it and gave it. And Jesus gives two insights uh, when when, uh, Judas says, well, she should have sold it and put the money in the bags. Well, of course, the disciples give you a little editorial comment. He said that not because he wanted to give to the poor, because he was a thief. And he was used to taking money out of the bags. Now, and then Jesus says, you always have the poor with you, but you don't always have me. Now, he is not diminishing our responsibilities of mercy ministries to the poor. He's just letting you know something. Now, I want you to remember this. Every time a religious figure or every time a political figure offers you the promise of a utopia, it's not coming until Jesus comes. That does not mean we don't labor against the consequences of sin. We always labor against it with the power of the gospel. But until Christ comes, sin is still here and it will continually bring the consequences of sin. We bring the only answer to sin. It is not a military, economic, or political utopia. It is the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ that saves sinners no matter where they are and who they are if they'll come to him. And the glorious utopian desire is fulfilled only in the coming of Christ. And so as he makes this statement, the day is coming to a conclusion. And the Bible says something else I just read. A fragrant odor filled the house. A fragrant odor of the perfume filled the house. Folks, wherever God's people dwell, out of their love to Christ, wherever they dwell, out of devotion to Christ, will arise the perfumed odor of sweetness and devotion from what she had poured out. When she poured that out, she had poured herself out. And with that pouring out in adoration and acclamation and exaltation, Arises the sweetness and the odor of the permeating, powerful love of Christ. And that's what filled the house. But dare I say, not to be, not to be provocative, as much as the odor of sweetness filled where the Lord's people were in devotion to Christ, outside there was a stink. There was the stench of hatred, the stench of duplicity, the stench of deceit. Crowds were gathering. This was not, it's amazing how people can gather. And that is come together when they're not together, but they will be brought together out of out of their enmity against Christ. They were seeing people becoming believers and they couldn't stand it. They were seeing the adoration of Christ and they couldn't stand it. Who were these people? Well, there were basically, what we read is there were basically five factions. There was, first of all, the disciples and those who were coming to faith. That would be the three. That would be the twelve. That would be the seventy. that would be others that were coming to him and believing in him. And then there was not only the disciples, but secondly, there was the crowds of Bethany. Bethany was a place that Jesus was well known. Bethany was a place with someone who was well known, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. Bethany was a place where he had raised Lazarus. And there there's a crowd out of Bethany. Thirdly, there is the Sanhedrin, and the Pharisees. And they have now come out with the arrest warrant and with the plot to kill Jesus and now include Lazarus. Fourthly, there's the curious. They want to come and can I, can I touch Lazarus? I mean, you can almost see them. You can probably set up a tourist place for people to come in, buy tickets to touch Lazarus. Oh, by the way, here's the cave that he walked out of right here in Bethany. They're all gathering. The curious are there. And then fifthly were the pilgrims who had come from all over the world obeying the edict of Josiah to come to the temple for the observance of the Passover. And they've arrived, and they're coming out of the city to meet the crowds that are already out of the city that are there in Bethany. Now, I have no idea how many people there were there. Here's what I do know. Josephus, three decades later, will give the count of those who come for the Passover feast in Jerusalem at 2.7 million. 2.7 million in that city. That's what he will say. And by the way, he's just counting the Jews that are there. So how many were there three decades earlier? I don't know. Probably not 2.7 million. But my guess is it was a significant group. And those coming out have been asking them the question. Will Jesus come in or do we need to go out to get him? Well, the answer to their question had already been given by Jesus. They just didn't know it. Because the Gospels tell us when Jesus arrived at Bethany to observe that Sabbath day before he would enter on the first day called Palm Sunday, he sent two disciples for his transportation. He sent them in the fulfillment of Zechariah chapter nine, go and you'll find a, you'll find a donkey with a colt. And when you take it and they ask, what are you doing? You tell them the master has need of it. And then they will bring it to him. He has already made the arrangements for his entrance. He's coming. He's coming in to the city. To fulfill the prophecy and he is making a statement that I want you to see and I want you to embrace with me. Would you look with me at that moment when he comes in. Go with me to John chapter 12 where we finished reading a moment ago. And Pick up with me at verse 9. When the large crowd of the Jews learned that Jesus was there, they came not only on account of him, but also to see Lazarus. Here's the curious whom he had raised from the dead. So the chief priest made plans to put Lazarus to death as well, because on account of him, many of the Jews were going away and believing in Jesus. Don't forget that. To believe in Jesus, you got to go away from sin. That's called repentance. So they're going away from what they, where they were and now coming to him. And so what happens next? The next day, this is the first day of the week. The large crowd that had come to the feast heard that Jesus, they had been obedient to the edict. They had come to the feast. They had purified themselves. They heard that Jesus was coming. The question was answered. Word had spread, Jesus is on the way. So they took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him, crying out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the King of Israel. And Jesus found a donkey, a young donkey, and sat on it, just as it is written, Fear not, daughter of Zion, behold. Your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. His disciples did not understand these things at first. But when Jesus was glorified, that's Ascension Sunday. When Jesus was glorified, then they remembered these things had been written about him and had been done to him. Not simply the cross, but also this moment. This moment had been done to him. Palms singing of the psalms. Hosanna, the king is coming. The crowd that had been with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to bear witness. There's that other faction. The reason why the crowd went to meet him was that they had heard he had done this sign. There's the curious. So the Pharisees said to one another, boy, underline this one. You see that you are gaining nothing. Look, the world has gone after him. Look, the world has gone after him. So they're coming out. And the crowd that is coming out is coming out singing. I'm sure those who were coming in with Jesus that were already out there, they probably joined in the singing. But they came out with palms. Can y'all hang with me on this one just for a moment? Okay. They came out with palms and they came out singing the psalms. They didn't sing just any psalms. They came out singing what are called the Hallel, Psalm 113 through Psalm 118. Specifically, is being quoted here as Psalm 118. Hosanna, salvation of the Lord. The Lord saves. Hosanna, the king is coming. And so here they are singing this psalm of Hallel. And they're bringing palms. Now why would they bring palms? If it was the feast of the booths, that would make sense. Because the feast of the booths or the feast of the tabernacles used palms to build, build the booths. And by the way, no shortage there. <laughs> I mean, we had to go buy the palms for the kids today, right? You just walk outside and start picking. And there'd be plenty out of the date palms uh, the date palms that you can get palms and you can bring them down and they come out waving them. Why are they waving them? You know, folks, here's one of the great challenges in the ministry of God's word is not simply to get the truth of the word, which we always think, how does this apply to me in the 21st century? But the first thing to properly understand God's word is to get us back to the first century and here you've actually got to go back a little further there's a period of silence we call it the intertestamental the intertestamental period between malachi and matthew 400 400 that's more than this country's existed 400 years of silence but god is working and you not only had um, Assyria, and Babylon, and Medo-Persia, and Greek, and here come the Romans. But in between was a period of time in which the Syrians had taken over. The ruler, you can read all about him in history books, and in Josephus. His name was Antiochus Epiphanes. And he captured Jerusalem. And brought it under Syrian control. And he began to do abominations in the temple. And he would bring abomination and destruction and corruption and immorality. And the resurrection of child sacrifice. He would bring all of that into the temple. And the Jewish people began to have revolts. One revolt was by a man by the name of Judas Maccabees. And he would set up the Maccabean uh, rulers over Israel. And he would be successful to drive the Syrians from the Temple Mount. And when he did, the people showed up with palms. Our liberation has come. Then his brother liberated the entire city. His name was Simon Maccabees. He had liberated the entire city. And then they began to actually mint coins with palms on. Can I give you an example? Have y'all ever looked at the flags of the colonies that became the original states? How many of them have something called a liberty tree? Now, if you've ever read about the founding of this country, there was this thing called the liberty tree. And there was a liberty tree and, and that's where they gathered to declare the independence and then fight for that independence and liberty trees begin to spring up all over everywhere. If you didn't have a liberty tree, sometimes they'd just get a pole and put a hat on it and raise it up. That's what, that was called the liberty tree. And so that, just, you can read about it. That, for the Israelites in that period of time, that was their liberty tree. We have been liberated. The temple is no longer desecrated. We now have not only religious freedom, we now have freedom, freedom. And it became a glorious time. So what happened is, is every time Israel would get into celebration throughout the years after that, they'd show up with palms. Palms was their declaration of freedom. So here comes Jesus. Here is The Messiah, here comes our king, national, hero, liberator. He'll drive out not Syrians this time, but these dastardly Romans and their tyranny. And they came out looking for him. And when kings came to liberate with power, they would arrive Upon their war steed. And when they met Jesus. There was no war stallion. But a donkey. A colt. Some of you that have been with me. Forget. I know some of you think mule. Forget mule. Mules look like stallions. Compared to donkeys in Israel. And this one is a colt. I mean, you actually have to hold your legs up that they don't drag the ground. They're hardy little beasts of burden, but they're small. They're insignificant. There's nothing challenging about them. There's nothing arresting about them. They meet Jesus. There's his legs drawn up, and he's coming in on the cult that was prophesied. He had already not only decided He was coming to fulfill the scriptures. In the fulfillment of the scriptures, he was giving them a message. I have come not as your national hero to drive away the political oppressor. I have come to bring you peace with God. I've come to deliver you from your sins. You know, we just quoted from the Zechariah text. Would you, and I'll just give you a takeaway after this. Would you go with me to Zechariah 9? Many times we quote that, but we don't really read again. um, We don't get to the forest. We just pick out the tree. So go to Zechariah chapter 9. Now, Pastor, where is Zechariah? It's right there in your favorite part of the Bible, the Minor Prophets. And go to chapter nine, if you've got your pew Bible, it's page 797. And as you get there, you find this great prophecy, Zechariah 9:9. If if it helps, it's the next to last book of the Bible, uh, Old Testament. Okay. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion! Shout aloud! O daughter of Jerusalem, behold, your king is coming to you, righteous, a righteous king. Having salvation is he, humble, mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. What will God do through this Messiah king? I will cut off the chariot from Ephraim and the war horse from Jerusalem and the battle bow shall be cut off and he shall speak peace. Not just to one nation. This king is speaking peace with God to all the nations. He's not come as a tribal God to deliver one nation. He has come to bring his people savingly, savingly from the power and penalty of the gospel he has done to do the, he has come to do this to all the nations. His rule will not be simply in this promised land that's a down payment. His rule shall be from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth as you, as for you also not only all these nations but for you also gentile and jew alike because of the blood of my covenant with you i will set your prisoners free from the waterless pit so here is the redeemer that has come and when they meet him his very coming is giving them the message. He has come to set them free from sin's power, sin's guilt, sin's shame, sin's penalty. He has come, the righteous one, to take your place at the cross. And the next first day of the week, the amen of God, he is risen, glorious, glorious. Gloriously risen. There's you know, just a couple of thoughts and, and let me just give you a, just a couple of thoughts and then I'll give you a takeaway. Um, there's a couple of things that stand out to me in that text. I've tried to read them and hopefully they captured you somewhat. Um, the disciples didn't understand until after the ascension. Now don't get down on the disciples too quickly. There's a lot that I heard for 20 years I didn't understand. I could recite it, but I still didn't understand it. When you get knowledge, you also need understanding. So they had the knowledge Jesus had been teaching them. But it took his resurrection and his ascension to bring it into their hearts. Folks, my guess is most of you here have heard that Jesus loves you. You've heard what we quoted at the beginning of the service. God so loved the world he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. I, I know you've heard that. Have you understood? Have you understood? I thank God so much that he broke through my knowledgeable acquiescence to it and gave me understanding that the wisdom of salvation might be granted to me. And I long for that for every single one of you. I want you to know Christ, not just about him, I certainly don't want you to be numbered with the antagonist that want to arrest him and are upset because others are coming to him. I certainly don't want you to be numbered with simply the curious. But I do want you to be numbered with those who were coming to believe, not because Lazarus has been raised, but Jesus has been raised. To save you from your sins. That you would come to him. That you would put your trust in him. That you would leave where we were. And come to him. And believe in him as your Lord and your Savior. And I pray also. I pray also. That we might yet see the world coming to him now first you have you come to him you want to pray with someone please see me please see those up here that would be here to pray with you then come and give your heart your life to Christ that he is your lord and savior but i guess my second question is this will we Bring him to the world. Not bring the one that the world wants, but bring to them the one that they need, Christ. The one who humbled himself to the point of death, the righteous one who humbled himself that they might have eternal life. You see, the world can't come to Christ. What an amazing statement. The whole world is coming to him. Now, I understand they're frustrated, but I just love that statement. The whole world is coming to him. I, I, I want to see that again. The whole world is coming to him. I remember the words of Benjamin Franklin after a meeting with George Whitfield, preaching at Philadelphia, he said, the whole world's going to church. I want to see that again. One by one, men and women coming to Christ, and it's a flood. It looks like the whole world is coming to Him. But brothers and sisters, beloved, the world will not come to Him until we go to them. The reason the world was coming to Him is because He came to them. For God so loved the world... He gave his only son. His son came to them. That's why they came to him. If we are going to win this world to Christ, our nation to Christ, and the gospel to all the nations, it's not if we hold it and if we build it, they will come. They won't come until we go to them. Like him. Proclaiming his righteousness and humbly, yet courageously, calling them from death unto life. What a glorious moment. But you know what the backdrop is? likely many of these same ones will be yelling crucify him one week later. Well, less than a week later. I pray that you have come to him, and I pray that together we will go to them. And I pray the sweetness of the fragrance of love to Christ will rise from us and invade the stench of sin in the world, that men and women might flee to Christ. And therefore, the wrath to come. Because he's coming again. This time, on the war stallion. He is coming in judgment. But today is the day of salvation. Take your Savior to the world. Having come to him from the world. And embracing Him as Lord and Savior. And don't simply pour out the perfume. Let's pour out ourselves. Father, thank you for the moments we could be together in Your Word. Thank you, Jesus, for the sweetness of the truth of Your Word. And thank you for the grace of, the grace of salvation that You have so gloriously and wonderfully purchased for us. Father, even as Mary poured out that perfume upon him, he was being anointed to pour himself out for us. Now, O God, may we pour ourselves out for him because he is our life and we want others to come to him. O Lord, our God, may your people rise up And as the world looks to the body of Christ, may they see us coming courageously to face arrest warrants and plots as our Savior, yet with humility and love and grace as our Savior was that day, mounted on the foal of a colt to bring peace and deliverance from sin to all the
0: nations. In Jesus' name, amen. You have been listening to a message by Harry Reeder, Senior Pastor of Briarwood Presbyterian Church in Birmingham, Alabama. For more information on the resources available through Briarwood Presbyterian Church or for more information on the teaching ministry of Pastor Reader, visit us at briarwood.org or call 205-776-5200.